Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, Raider Nation? Matt Holder here from Silver and Black Pride. I'm not going to lie to you guys. The Raiders are quickly letting the season slip right through their hands, but they do have another opportunity to get things figured out at home against the Broncos this Sunday. But before the game, we of course have to go over the news and injury report for the week, as well as answer your mailbag questions. So, let's get to it. The Raiders' offensive line has been a hot topic of discussion basically since last year ended, and the conversation has continued over the past month, so I had figured I'd kick things off this week with a few quotes from Josh McDaniels on the Big Uglies. McDaniels was encouraged by the line's performance against the Titans and had this to say after the game. I thought we ran the ball effectively, albeit not as much as we would have liked to because the score gets flipped on us again. So I think the ability to avoid negative runs, that was a good day. Didn't have much of that at all. The pass protection was generally decent. When you throw it 40-something times against that rush, there's going to be some pressures, and we had one sack there before the half. But all in all, I thought they worked out well as a unit together. I thought they passed off some things well. I thought they double teamed well. There were definitely some positives, and again, we got to go look at that and try and build on the good things and then improve on some of the things that we allowed to happen. Overall, I thought it was a positive step for them. The head coach also had a lot of good things to say about rookies Dylan Parham and Thayer Munford. I try to avoid expectations in terms of timelines and those kinds of things because I allow those things to happen organically with each player, McDaniel said. Every guy is different. We certainly like both players when we drafted them, and I don't think they've let us down at all. They work hard, they're prepared, they practice hard, and so they've earned the opportunity to go out there and keep playing because of what they're doing in practice. I feel like both of them represented themselves well. There was one sock out there in the two-minute drive that we kind of got edged on the side with there, but I mean, look, there's a lot of good players up there. They're doing a good job of blocking them for the most part, and it was a good start for both of them to be in there together and then play the entirety of the game. I think they gave us an opportunity to win. So, some encouraging quotes from the coach, and personally, I do think the offensive line has been getting better, they just weren't where they need to be right now, and some continuity will help with that. An article by Pro Football Network's Aaron Wilson that dropped this week recently shined light on some of the Raiders' struggles during their 0-3 start. Wilson wrote that not only did owner Mark Davis have a lengthy quote-unquote closed-door meeting with McDaniels after the game in Tennessee, but also Derek Carr and Max Crosby held the players-only meetings at some point after the game. It does feel a little early for the players-only meetings, but I can't say it's not justified at this point. Wilson also mentioned that multiple sources view the Raiders' struggles as quote-unquote complicated and that it's more about personnel than a culture clash. He points out that while the team has top talent like Devontae Adams, Chandler Jones, and Darren Waller, among others, the rest of the roster leaves the team still feeling the aftermath of John Gruden and Mike Mayock's draft whiffs, especially the offensive line and defensive backfield. As we've mentioned several times throughout the young season, Vegas has constantly been reshuffling their O-line, and the defensive backfield is thin outside of Nate Hobbs. This team, if you look really closely, is not set up to succeed, a league source told Wilson. It's going to take time and patience and getting more of the players that Josh and Dave want in there before they can really be competitive. They're in a loaded division that has great quarterbacks, and they inherited a mess. There's a lot of good reasons why Mayock and Gruden are no longer there. This is heavy lifting for Josh and Dave. It's not a quick fix situation. 
The owner, Mark Davis, understands that and is on board with what they're doing. It's hard to watch right now, though. Now, I do have to push back on that quote a little bit to interject here for a second. I don't think McDaniels and Ziegler would have taken the job if they didn't think they could win right away, and I don't think they would have given up two top picks for a 30-year-old receiver and paid $50 million to a 32-year-old pass rusher in an attempt to rebuild the roster and win later rather than now. Granted, McDaniels and Ziegler could have had a different outlook on the roster makeup than this source and the job overall before taking it, and maybe they overlooked some of the flaws or thought it would be easier to fix than they ended up being, but I can't be convinced that they did not think the roster was ready to win right now. Wilson also cited Carr's quotes about the team's practice habits as a reason for the slow start. You try your best to do it the right way in practice, and if you don't do it right in practice, then you can't expect to do it right in the game. I can be optimistic, Carr said. Max, Devontae, Darren, everybody can be optimistic, but if not everybody's doing the work or doing the right things in practice, it doesn't matter how much we hope for. You've got to earn it, but we're going to stay positive already. That's the kind of people we have in the room. I think the execution was not at its best on some days, but that's not the reason. You've got to earn it, but we're going to stay positive already. That's the kind of people we have in the room. I think the execution was not at its best on some days, but that's not the reason. I wouldn't say I'm not pleased with the team's practice habits, but my point is the meetings, the practices, the walkthroughs all matter. So if you're on it, all those things, then you're usually going to go out and you're on your assignments. To end this segment on a high note, Wilson's sources do sound optimistic that McDaniels and Ziegler will be able to right the ship, citing that the coach's approach has been very different than his stern and over-arrogant mentality he had in Denver, and another source praised the GM's talent evaluation skills. Hopefully, that means some wins are on the way. In what's been customary so far this season, the Raiders made a few additions to the roster this week, primarily on the practice squad. The first, they signed Javelin Guidry to the practice squad on Friday, which I mentioned last week was their plan after trading for Justin Huron. In a corresponding move, guard Jordan Meredith was released from the P-Squad. Vegas also signed defensive back Darren Evans to the practice squad, who was a 6'2 corner out of LSU and signed with the New York Giants as an undrafted rookie free agent this offseason, but obviously did not make their roster. Defensive back J.R. Reed was let go to make room. On a similar note, the Raiders elevated safety Matthias Farley to the active roster and waived safety Isaiah Palomao. As of the recording of this podcast, no word on if the plan is to bring back Paul Mal on the practice squad. On a related note, the Raiders also brought in running back Wayne Gallman for a visit this week, according to PFN's Aaron Wilson. Wrapping up the news portion of the show like we always do with a few notes about the Raiders and the league as a whole. First, per the Las Vegas Review-Journal's Mick Akers, the Raiders hired Justin Carley as the team's general counsel and Kiva Martinez as chief of sales officer. Carly hasn't worked in the NFL before, but he has worked for the Howard Hughes Corporation, which owns the AAA baseball team in Vegas, and Martinez has been with the organization for about 15 years, serving as the VP of Sales and Service before her recent promotion. In other news broken by Akers, Devontae Adams will serve as the honorary pace car driver for the South Point 400 NASCAR race at Las Vegas Motor Speedway on October 16th, which coincides with the team's bye week. On a more league-wide note, the NFL is changing its approach to the Pro Bowl by replacing the actual game with a week-long event that includes several skill competitions. ESPN's Adam Schefter reported that Peyton Manning and his media company, Omaha Productions, will help put the skills competitions together and help pick the coaching staffs for the AFC vs. NFC flag football game at the end of the week, which is the other big change. But is it really? The Pro Bowl was basically already was a flag football game, so I don't think much is changing on that front. 
but I am excited to see what they come up with for the skills competition, and it will be back in Las Vegas for another year. Alright, now that we've got the news out of the way, on to the injury report. As always, I'll start with the Raiders DNPs as of Thursday, the biggest being wide receiver Hunter Renfro, who's still out with a concussion, so it's looking like he'll miss his second game in a row, paving way for Matt Collins to get more targets, and Keelan Cole to take more reps in the slot. Tight end Foster Moreau also hasn't practiced yet this week with a knee injury, which could be huge as the Raiders could use his help in pass protection against Bradley Chubb and Brandy Gregory. Plus, Moreau is coming off an impressive performance as a receiver last week too. If he can't go, I'd assume we'll, see, we'll just see fewer two tight end sets this Sunday, but Jesper Horstead is the next man up and could get some more snaps as well. Renfro and Moreau were the only DMPs this week, but cornerback Nate Hobbs has been in concussion protocol all week and didn't return to the practice field until Thursday, and that was on a limited basis. Fellow starting cornerback Rocky Sin has also been limited this week, just with a knee injury, and NFL Network's Ian Rappaport tweeted that Yassin avoided any major injuries, but his and Hobbs' availability against the Broncos is up in the air, which means Amick Robertson could be elevated to the CB1 role, and Sam Webb could log his first NFL start. Granted, Webb was limited on Thursday with a hamstring. Sticking with the defensive backfield, Trevon Merrick has been limited all week with the same hip injury that kept him sidelined since the opener, so we might continue to see Deron Harmon out there, who's played well so far. Moving up to the front seven, linebacker Denzel Perryman made a step in the right direction as he was back on the practice field this week in a limited capacity with that ankle injury. Defensive tackle Bilal Nichols was also limited with the shoulder, but that was the case last week and he still ended up playing, so it sounds like they're just nursing him back to full health. Fellow defensive tackle Jonathan Hankins wasn't on the injury report on Wednesday, but was limited on Thursday with a groin, which would really just give more opportunities to Andrew Billings if Hankins can't go on Sunday. And on the other side of the trenches, left tackle Colton Miller has been limited with an ankle injury all week, and he basically has to play because I don't even want to think of what the Raiders' offensive line is going to look like without Miller, and luckily, we know he's an Ironman. As for the full participants, center Andre James was a full go, so it sounds like he's taken off that red jersey and should be ready for this weekend, giving the interior offensive line some options as Parham can play either guard spot now. And defensive tackle Neil Farrell Jr. was the other FP this week with a shoulder injury. Moving on to the Broncos, they had five DNPs on Thursday, the most notable being defensive tackle DJ Jones, which could help the Raiders move the ball on the ground if Jones can't go on Sunday. Free agent signing and presumptive starting right tackle Billy Turner also hasn't practiced this week, but he hasn't played for the Broncos yet, so it's not like they'll really be missing him, per se. Pass rusher Randy Gregory did sit out on Wednesday with a knee, but was limited on Thursday, and the same goes for guard Dalton Reisner, but with a banged up ankle, and that'll do it for this week's injury report. Here we go, mailbag time. As your weekly reminder to have your questions answered on a future show, either tweet them at me, adamholder95, or email them to sbpquestions1 at gmail.com, adamholder95, or sbpquestions1 at gmail.com. First up, the O-line played in the preseason besides Miller and didn't have a lot of penalties. Why are they having so many now? Well, I think for one, obviously with the preseason and the regular season, the biggest difference with the preseason and the regular season is competition level rises, it's a young group that doesn't have a whole lot of experience, especially you know with Parham starting and uh, Munford starting last week too. So that the, with the penalties are going to kind of come a little bit, especially with that inexperience, especially when that competition level rises and you're not as confident in your technique. So you might start looking, uh, start doing things like holding a little bit more because again you're not as confident in what you're doing and probably got beat a few times throughout the game. And two with the false starts, kind of the same uh, mentality or 
that guy beat you off the edge one time. Next time, you might try and get a little bit of a head start to to, uh, to catch up. So I think there's an adjustment period with that. You know, just because they played in the preseason, especially with them being so young, doesn't necessarily mean that they won't have penalties in the regular season. Again, that competition level rises. Sometimes your technique starts to drop when you start playing better guys. But the other thing that I think that might lead to it or might lead to some of the penalties are the, the lack of continuity that I keep talking about. Playing with different guys... Um, every week or every day, really, for what it seems like with the Raiders. And what I mean by that is when you're doing things like you get stunts and you maybe pass them off or, you know, we should be uh, handing someone off in pass protection, there's a communication element that Josh McDaniels has talked about earlier, too. And if you don't trust the guy that's next to you, you're not going to necessarily pass them off really quickly or anything like that. So you might grab onto him or hold onto him because, again, you don't have that trust. You don't have that continuity with playing with the guy next to you. Uh, quite as much as you normally would so that can lead to more penalties too so it's kind of a lot of things but I think the biggest one is the competition level try rising and uh, basically not having played with each other and you know it's an offensive line that unfortunately I don't know how much they trust each other as much right now because they just don't have as much experience playing with each other even going back to the preseason when they were doing all that reshuffling so I think as they get more comfortable as they get more experience that'll stop to start to subside and especially if they can get five guys that they can lock down moving forward. Question two, we're almost a quarter into the season, and as far as the record is concerned, the team is performing below expectations. You're the GM. What is the one move you'd make before the trade deadline to help correct the course? So first of all, I just want to say I love these questions, these hypothetical, these questions there. there's really no right answer, and I love it if, uh, I mean, if you guys disagree with me or anything on my answers and stuff like that, tweet them at me. I mean, don't be a dick because, you know, I'm sensitive, but, uh, you know, I love these open-ended questions that are hypothetical, so if we can get more of these on the pod, I'm down for them. But, all right, to repeat the question here after my rambling, you're the GM, what's the one move you'd make before the trade deadline to help correct the course? It's a tough one, because obviously you'd, the first reaction is to say, bring in an offensive lineman, but that kind of contradicts what I was just saying about the continuity, and especially as, if I imagine they're going to wait closer to the deadline to bring somebody in or anything like that. Um, you know, if you bring somebody in new, you're going to be starting, you know, uh, from square one as far as chemistry goes. So I don't know if that's the route I go. Unfortunately, I think the offensive line issues are going to have to be work themselves out and they're just going to have to figure out the five guys that they do have, um, that are the best and stick with those. In my opinion, if I had to do one move, it'd probably be trading for a veteran corner. I think, I mean, we're just talking about Amy Robinson might be the cornerback one this week. That was one of the issues going into the season. And I feel like that's kind of reared its head a little bit this year. Obviously, Nate Hobbs has played out of his mind and had a great year. Rocky Sin's been fine too, but again, he's also injured right now. And I feel like if they had a, a lockdown guy to complement with their pass rush and to complement a guy like Nate Hobbs and move Nate Hobbs around a little bit more, that could really help them get some more stops. And it's not a position where you have to necessarily be on the same page as your, or I shouldn't say that. Uh, it's not a position where like offensive line, where you literally have to work with four other people every single play, every single snap. You have a little bit more freedom, a little bit more individual individualization, as I struggle to say that word, where you can kind of plug a guy in a little bit easier, I would say, or at least in my opinion. Um, but to kind of circle back to the question, I don't know, like we were talking about before, I don't really know of a personnel or a player that's going to come in and fix this situation. I think they have the talent on the roster like we were talking about with the Wilson article. I think they they have plenty of guys that they can that they need to win. It's just they're not playing complimentary football right now. 
the best example I can give you guys of this, and that's obviously a one-off, but I think it's a, a symptom of something that's a bigger issue, comes from last week's game where the defense in the second half gets an interception and they get the offense takes over on the 31, and the offense manages to lose 10 yards and punt. Like, that's the kind of stuff that, like, good football teams, they at least get a field goal out of that situation. They at least put points up on the board, and that, to me, is kind of the bigger problem is it's just it's, they're not a team right now. They're a collection of talent and they're a collection of good players, but they're not playing cohesively. They're not playing complementary football. They're, when the defense is good, the offense sucks and vice versa. So that to me is kind of the bigger thing than, you know, being able to wave some sort of magic wand with the GM and bring somebody in and implement them. Like, like to me, I'd almost rather see them stay the course and figure it out with what they've got. Again, if they can get another corner in there, if they can get another DB that's good and that can, uh, you know, solve some of those problems, then yeah, I'd be all for that. But I just don't know. Like I, like I look at this team, I'm like, there's no reason why this this roster to me is plenty talented to be winning. It's just, I think they have a lot more changes, a lot more changes than I realized that was going to be as big of a deal. And right now, I, I think, again, they just need to learn how to play together and win, which I know is a terrible coach cliche. But again, I, I feel like the the biggest issue or the biggest way to solve their problems right now is to get more reps, which is unfortunately not the easiest way in the way to stay patient and everything and not what we had expected or not what we had anticipated to start the season. Number three, are you surprised that the Raiders haven't made a few more moves when it comes to the offensive line? I know they lost the three for, I know they lost the last three Gruden first round picks and had to give up a first and a second rounder for Adams and then traded for Yasin to help plug other holes. I mean, to put it simply, yeah, I think just about everyone has been surprised that they haven't made more moves when it comes to the offensive line, especially at at a right tackle. Um, But when it comes to it, when you look back at it, I think one of the things you have to uh, remember is not having a number one receiver was a huge problem for this offense last year. So obviously you're not going to take back that trade for Adams. And then when they end up picking in the third round, I just don't think the draft board fell the way they had hoped it did. And I mean, obviously, Parnum's been great. You're not giving up him. And if we're talking about a fourth-round guy that's going to be starting at right tackle, I don't know if you get much better results than what you have in Thayer Munford right now, who is honestly playing more like a fourth-round pick, um, which is obviously a good thing, seeing as he's drafted in the seventh. I don't mean that as a diss by any means. Um, so I don't know what they could have done differently. I mean, I guess you could say they could have gone over, uh, gone more aggressively for uh, for a veteran right tackle, like some of the ones that we saw. But they were signing some massive contracts that I just think they didn't want to do for the value wise. But yeah, I mean, you look back on it now, you almost want to say screw the money and wish they had thrown all the cash they could have at at one of these uh, one of these guys that could have played right tackle for them. But yeah, I definitely am surprised. Have been surprised that they haven't that they've wouldn't say ignored it, but they haven't necessarily done the done what they needed to do or done more I should say uh with the offensive line but I just think that if we're coming up with scenarios or if they were coming up with scenarios for the offseason how it would play out it just unfortunately ended up being one of the worst case scenarios too where the draft board probably just didn't fall away they would have wanted it and the free agent right tackles and our tackles were were signing much bigger contracts than they anticipated then Brandon Parker gets hurt. I'm sure they were partially hopeful that Alex Leatherwood would figure it out too. So I think it's really when it comes to the offensive line, it's just been this perfect storm of crap after crap that 
even in the worst case scenario, I don't even know if you plan for this. I don't know if you, I don't think they ever thought or planned that Brandon Parker would be out and Alex Leatherwood would end up getting cut. Is that short-sighted on their part? I mean, obviously now it looks bad, but I can't say I would totally blame them. I mean, to lose your top two starters at a position before the season even starts is a pretty unique circumstance. But again, even if Brandon Parker was out there and even if Alex Leatherwood was out there, we'd probably still be talking about how bad the Raiders offensive line is. So it is hard to give them that excuse a little bit too. But yeah, I just, I, I think the biggest thing that if we're going back and doing some revisionist history, the biggest mistake that they've made is not overpaying or spending a little bit more than they would have, than they probably would have liked for that right tackle or even just getting another guy on the interior just to stabilize things and getting a veteran in there. I think that's probably their biggest mistake. And if we look back on the, the last off season, definitely something they'll, they'll look at in the future to build off of. Um, again, I think the biggest thing that they missed on so far is just not bringing that veteran. That'll do it for this week, guys. As your weekly reminder, the Raiders play at 125 on CBS this Sunday, so make sure you got your DVR set, your alarm set, whatever you need to do to turn into the game. Back to the original time, or the normal time, I should say, and the normal and the normal channel. 125 at CBS. As always, thank you for listening. Make sure to rate, review, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me on Twitter, at mholder95. Follow Silver and Black Pride. Until next week, guys.